So I'm back with Brian for this episode, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why some individuals struggle with pornography where others don't. So I hope that you enjoy this episode to learn more about what the specific traits and attributes that somebody might have that might be some of the ingredients for the struggle with pornography. If you're like me, you know your mind can be your best or your worst friend. Our mind is an amazing tool that can do incredible things, but our mind can also create problems out of nowhere. Sometimes our mind keeps recommending the same solutions to problems even when they aren't working. I see this pattern play out as individuals try to overcome their anxiety, depression, or even struggles with pornography, using approaches that make sense but aren't very helpful. This podcast will show you how real researchers and clinicians are changing the way we approach mental health and reveal helpful research-supported principles designed to help real people with real problems. My name is Dr. Cameron Staley, and welcome to the Life After Series Radio. So we're back again with Brian. I think this is our fourth chat together. Yep. So you're like a pro now. Oh, oh, don't go there. <laughs> I'm gonna need I'm gonna need 40 more before I even get amateur status, but Oh, I'm with you. I think I honestly recorded probably 50 videos going through like the life after pornography modules. And then I, I just recorded them as rehearsal. I recorded the whole thing and then trashed all of them. Cause I'm like, no I way. just want to get more comfortable talking and it, it just feels so foreign doing this to a webcam. And so, yeah, I, I spent hours just practicing talking to myself cause it's a different thing. Yeah, I'm sure those are long videos too. So I'm, I'm impressed that super a lot long. of work. Yeah. A lot of work. So how has this been for you? I, I'm assuming like some friends and family have heard some of the podcasts you've done. I'm curious, like how that is for you and what kind of feedback you've heard so far. Yeah, I, I have been very blessed um, to have really good support um, uh, in my life. I, the coolest thing I've found is, I don't know, there's already a, a stigma around a podcast and just kind of, that's a cool thing to have. And um, I think I've found the support in that people are actually listening and understanding it and giving me feedback on like, oh, I actually like learned, like these few things stuck out to me. Um, and I have a friend who, whenever a new one comes out, we'll send like a, <laughs> just like, here are the thoughts I pulled from it. Like one, Whoa. two, three, four. Um, and that's really powerful. Cause then it's off of our conversation. There's a, another party that's getting more thoughts and then we talk about them and then there's more thoughts and it's just connection, connection, connection. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately the goal with this is I hope that as people are watching, whether that's, my friends or family or yours or anyone out there it's that it can spark some form of connection whether that's in your own thoughts or with other people and vulnerability um, but it, it's been really cool to see what being vulnerable can accomplish wow on on a scale like this is it worth it absolutely <laughs> absolutely 100 percent 
that's like a real question because I love that cascade effect that, hey, I'm sharing and being open and now other people are sharing and being open and we're learning together and it just keeps spreading with connection. But like the act of still going through this process is still difficult, even though there's benefit. Absolutely. That's, that's the goal. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, but if we did all these podcasts of us talking and only one person decided to be vulnerable, Mm. it would be absolutely worth it. Yep. Um, because I've been there. I know what that's like to lug that around. And when you, when you trust someone else with that, um, and regardless of how they respond, I think it's just the practice of you connecting or trying to connect. And if it doesn't work, you establish trust with someone else and put that relationship, um, you're honestly just increasing the uh, intimacy, yeah. closeness, trust yep. within that relationship. And that's the goal, I think, in, or at least in me talking. I just want people to understand that there's there's resources out there. You don't have to fight this alone. Yeah. Don't even have to fight it technically, um, <laughs> right? But you, and you're just you're not a bad person, and yeah. people love you and want to talk to you. Yeah, man, just listening to you, it, it's so inspiring and encouraging. Like, but also like motivating for me to be more open and vulnerable in my life, because that's a challenge for me. I I prefer when other people are vulnerable, and I'm happy to facilitate that. But when it's me, it's like, ah, I don't know. But to hear you actually doing that work, it's like, yeah, I, I can do this too. If Brian can do it, I can do it. And, and there's a payoff there. So I appreciate that, appreciate that example that you set for me too. Well, there we go. You're the one person. We're done. There we go. <laughs> Accomplished. Oh, I love it. So, you know, today I actually, I want to hear a lot from you. I get tired of hearing myself. I want to learn from you. And I, and I know that you've spent so much time thinking about this. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you share, but I want to know what you've thought about or what you've learned about. Why do some people struggle with pornography and some people don't like, what is it about us or the traits we have or attributes that may contribute to why you might struggle and why somebody might not. I'm curious what you've thought about there. That is such a big question. I love it. I love it. I, you know, I couldn't even tell you how many hours I've dumped into that question. Hmm. Um, and especially when, I don't know, for me at least in, in the struggle with it um, and whether that was at the beginning or like when it first came into um, my life or now as I'm a little more retrospective, but still struggling. The question is always why me? Yeah. And for the longest time you think you're alone just because of how isolating it is. Um, And I think that's an interesting 
part of the equation. Oh. Is now all of a sudden I'm different than everyone else because I struggle with this. And I think that can actually lead to behaviors that are, whether you deem that like you're independent, closed off, um, just hard to connect with maybe when in reality you are the person that's seeking the most connection. And so maybe I have so many thoughts. I hope one of them comes out in some form of understandable English. Um, but maybe the first one would be, I think I personally struggle with pornography because I consider myself a deep person hmm. and I want to connect deeply with people. Yep. And as such, I mean, sexual intimacy is one of the deepest forms of connection humans can have. Yep. And so that's naturally, there's a gravity there, right? Um, but also, I don't know. Does that make sense? Oh, I think you're right on. So I'm already learning something from you. I hadn't thought about that, but I've heard from folks that struggle exactly what you said that I feel like I'm the only one and now therefore I can't talk about it. And so that feeling that, Hey, I'm the only one, this is unique. People wouldn't get it. Therefore that prohibits me from connecting. Even though often people that struggle with porn often have a very deep sense of connection and longing. And it's that combination really wanting to connect and feeling like I'm completely alone with this. I think those are major ingredients of why someone might struggle where someone might not. Right. And it's, it's honestly, I know you've talked about, you hate the word frustrating, but <laughs> I, that's a frustrating dichotomy to live with because you want that so bad and you feel like you can't and you aren't even worthy of that with people. Mm because if they knew what you did, they would reject you and you're so ashamed. And I think stemming from that, I started looking at everyone else as if like, I'm not worthy to talk to you. So I'm going to treat you really well. Really? As oh, you weird as that more sounds, about that. I honestly, that's something I've thought about a lot is because I would just always put myself a tier below everyone because of who I thought I was. Wow. And I think about the, the friends I know who struggle with this and they are just naturally good people when it comes to relationships. Yep they will do anything for anyone else because I think they want someone to do that for them. Mm. And maybe it's not the selfish aspect of that, but they want the connection that I will always be there for you. Yeah. Because I want someone in my life who is. Whoa. But you're also approaching those relationships as if you're already in debt. 
Yeah, that's a really good way to say that. And so no matter what, it's already unequal. I need to give them more because I'm already in the hole. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right on. That is definitely something, that word, worthiness, that one hit me pretty strong. Because I think that's a really common, maybe it's, it's a belief, but also a feeling. And I think people that struggle with pornography, I hear I'm not worthy way more than when people struggle with anxiety or depression or other types of like mental health struggles. Worthiness, I hear that showing up way more around sexuality and around pornography. And I think that's an ingredient where for me, looking at sexual images is a coping strategy for managing emotions. It's kind of objective and kind of neutral, but worthiness puts on a different connotation that it's not just a tool you're using that may be unhelpful. It's now that tool you're using makes you less than other people, but worthiness almost has this religious connotation too, that you're now less worthy of like God's love too. So less worthy for people and relationships, and now you're in debt to God too. And I'm thinking about like, wow, if anything would propel people to keep looking at porn to feel better, it would be that. I hope, I hope this never stops of you reading my own biography <laughs> off. You, it is, and I'm sure other people listening will feel the same exact way. Cause what you just articulated is exactly how I've felt for my whole conscious life of having thoughts for myself, because I absolutely feel, or I have felt unworthy because you're bringing in a whole nother sphere when you talk about worthiness, because now you've got religious values, moral implications, and sexuality is stacked with yep. stigmas and false ideas and perspectives. Um, but as, as someone who, was raised in an environment, whether that's church or family or friend circles where sex is sacred and you don't talk about it. And it's almost like you shut the door on it mm. and when it's brought it. up. Yeah, exactly. You put a chair in front of it. You it's in an underground shelter. You, you struggle with something like that and you feel like the last thing I would want is to bring it up yeah. because it might mean you don't go to church anymore. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that there's a fear, which is so ironic because now that we are talking about it, I realize it's totally okay. But the fact that no one is talking about it makes it fearful. Yep. Just because there's no platform. You got it. And I think also, as you mentioned, the stakes are so high where it's like, if I mess up in the sexual realm department, like I might lose 
activity in my church or even membership in my church or be prohibited Going to hell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I was getting there. I was working myself up there. Oh yeah. Like you may not be <laughs> able to like engage in these worship rituals, but yeah, you, you threw the Trump card. It's like, you're going to be condemned for eternity because you looked at sexual, sexual images. Amen. I, that's what it is. Yeah. And and to this day, I don't understand why it was. I'm not sure <laughs> if this is a relevant question, but why it was pornography that I struggled with mm. as a coping strategy. Because I looked around at the kids in school, and this is like high school. I'm like, surely they have tons of stress and anxiety and they probably have problems at home and at work and in their daily life. And I have no idea how they're coping with it. Yeah. Maybe they're getting drunk on the weekends and that's what helps. Maybe they play video games, but the fact that mine was pornography, I've, I really don't know why that one stuck. Yeah. I think it's a big question. Oh, go ahead. I just, I'm not sure if that's a dangerous road (laughs) to go down. What do you mean? What, what do you think? Why does that feel dangerous? I think it's all connotation. Um, Because I, I do remember thinking, well, geez, I wish I wish I struggled with, maybe I wish I got drunk on the weekends. Yeah. Cause no one cared really, or at least people would know about it. Yeah. And they seem perfectly happy. <laughs> right. That would be something where you could connect with people where with porn it's, it's even more isolating. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like why, why porn? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's there. it goes back to this principle where it's this paradox where our mind can only do. And often there's a part of it's like, well, there's some things that are prohibited or I really don't want to do. And I got to make sure that I don't even get close to those. But even thinking about I don't want to do those things increases the risk of we're probably going to do those things. Because our mind can only think. It can't not think. And so I think about like why porn may have been a bigger issue for you and people like you is it's like, that's the last thing I should ever get involved in. And it's like, Oh, yep. That's probably gonna be the first thing you're going to get involved in then. And it's that unfair paradox. And often, and this is probably why you're probably a better person than me. You're probably a little bit more concerned about your eternal salvation than maybe I am. And because of that, you might struggle a little bit more with things like pornography that might jeopardize that in your mind. Where other folks that are not as worried about how this will impact me for the eternities might not end up struggling with these types of things. For someone who's always dropped themselves in the hole below everyone else. I can't even 
fathom accepting what you just said. Like it, but I think about that and to some extent, at least logically, it makes sense Mm. that the fact struggling with pornography doesn't mean you're a bad person. Ironically, the fact that you are perpetually struggling with pornography might mean you are a great person Yep, and you have great values. And to think about that makes emotionally, it doesn't make sense, (laughs) but maybe logically it's like, okay, that I see how there's a dissonance. Yes. And that dissonance is ramping up those emotions and pornography is just a coping strategy for managing emotions, but it's that dissonance. And as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm trying to think about like, why was it that I didn't struggle with pornography? Cause like you mentioned, like, yeah, I, I got struggles too. I got stress. Like, why not that? And I often think about how I view my relationship with God and Brian and I, we both share the same faith background. And so we probably sat in the same pews and heard the same kind of things. But honestly, I think the messages have impacted us differently. And I think about, I focus a lot on that I'm probably not perfect and probably don't see things accurately and clearly. I'm very aware of how limited I am, but also lean a lot on that. I I trust that God understands my intentions are good. And that I often visualize getting to the other side and God saying, putting his arm around me, and saying, wow, Cameron, you weren't even close. Not even close, buddy. But I know you tried your best. And I'd be like, you're right. Like, teach me, help me. I want to learn. But I don't feel this pressure of I've got to do it right all the time or figure it out or have all the answers. I'm kind of the opposite where it's like, you know, I'm pretty convinced that I don't really know. I don't see the big picture. But I am convinced I am really genuinely trying to do my best. And I'm open to the feedback on the other side where it's like, Cameron, you weren't even close. And I'd be like, okay. (laughs) And that's about it for me. And just to contrast this on the other side, I've never been that way. Really? Not even close. I think, I think my missionary experience is the best example I have. Um, And in our faith, we're called to serve a two-year missionary service um, and you devote your life to God and that God is all you think about for two years and it's all you talk about for two years. Um, and I went in with high expectations of, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to get a perfect. I'm going to break <laughs> records. Oh my gosh. And Yeah. Recipe for disaster. Spoiler alert. <laughs> But I I genuinely, and I think, I don't know what the difference between pride and perfectionism is in that sphere. Because it wasn't pride. I wasn't wanting to be better than everyone else. I just wanted to be obedient to God. And I wanted to do everything in my power and just work hard. And I thought that I would be perfect at it. Yeah. And then when pornography became um, came up again as a missionary, oh, the 
level of dissonance there is unreal. And I think it, it did some damage. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure even in preparations to become a missionary, I felt like I, I wasn't even capable of serving God oh. because I was so far from perfect. Wow. And that's, that's how, like, that's my mentality. Yeah. And so I, that I'm sure is a contributing attribute to the struggle. Yeah. And that, I like that you, how you contrasted that because perfectionism for me, I understand what people mean when they describe that. But personally, I don't experience life like that. Like I, I don't, I don't even consider perfection as a goal or what that would even look like, or even how to achieve that. It's not even on my radar. And I think that is helpful for me. It makes me bump over life a little bit smoother and maybe I could do better in some areas of my life, but I don't know where that comes from, where I don't even see what I'm offering is capable of perfection. So I don't even worry about it. I don't know. But in some way, like hearing you talk about that, it feels like it limits any freedom for learning or mistakes or struggle. Or like your margin for error is razor thin. That's what it feels like. And to think about how complex life is and like being a missionary, I, I remember those missionary experiences myself. I was young. Um, I was 19, 20. I was a kid. I didn't know much. And to think about if I had a razor thin threshold for learning or error, man, that would have been a miserable experience for me. It everyone says they're that missionary service is hard, but I think there's a select group of people who have it hard for another reason. Yep. And I certainly was wanting to be the, the, uh, the president of that group with oh. how hard I was working at it. But, I, and I, I, again, I don't, I don't know why, why me? But it it starts to make sense when you think of you talk about even a small margin of error. There wasn't a margin of error for me. I think me. you're right. I think there wasn't. I I didn't allow myself to make mistakes, which is so ironic because you think of everything you have. You had to learn another. Well, some missionaries have to learn another language, and for how many mistakes I made learning that language, you think I would have learned that <laughs> there was no way in the heck I was going to be perfect. Yeah. But. It, it was miserable and it's even hard to admit that because you, you can't say that about your mission. Nope. You can't say it was miserable, Yep. but it genuinely, it's hard to talk about still. Really? Oh, it was that painful of an experience for you. It was, uh, it was very hard. Um, and I think, I, I think there were a lot of factors that contributed to that, but wow. it's, it's again, it's that dichotomy of achieving perfection yet struggling with something that, you know, makes you not perfect. Yep. 
and for some reason i just struggle with being human i think that's it i think that's it it's at its core and if we think about pornography it feels like that's something that we can never make a mistake again that seems like possible <laughs> where it's like yeah i can make sure that never happens again except it keeps happening you're like wow what is up with this but i think it's because we're not aware of what's driving it and it's the emotions that come with life and it's the pressure that comes from not even having a margin for error it's that that guarantees you will continue to view and it is this like torturous paradox and i don't know why you didn't weren't able to have a margin for error and mine is so wide where i feel like what i do is so clumsy and messy that I got like these wide lanes where I'm just swerving and I feel like I'm going to be okay. <laughs> My lanes are so wide because I just don't feel like what I have is that unique or important. And that might have its own drawbacks where I probably see myself the other way where what I have to offer is forgettable and limited. And I often don't take a lot of pride in my accomplishments or take these moments to connect. And I think about this as I've, reviewed my life, I've done some cool stuff. And some of it I'm like, it doesn't even matter. Don't even acknowledge it. So I think there's maybe a downside to the wide lanes too, where you can swerve around, it doesn't matter. Like you don't take a lot of stock in what you're doing and accomplishing. You're just driving around. But I think in, in some ways it helped me not get into some of these struggles. The funny thing is, and, and it's never about comparison. And I, I'm just glad we have this contrast between us and our perspectives. That's cool. Um, but again, it's not about comparison. I just know for a fact that I've swerved some pretty wide lanes. <laughs> it's just whether or not I can accept that. Yes. It's like, I'm not even on the road at some points. I'm out there in the dirt swerving around doing donuts thinking i'm <laughs> like this is the last donut and i'm still spinning and it's just and it's it's again it's that like laughter out of <laughs> just exhaustion yeah. right that my heavens why am i it's almost idiotic to think that you can make those promises to yourself that this is going to be the last time to trap. And you know, you know, full well, it isn't Yep. yet. You still feel like you can promise yourself that because yep. that's perfectionism. Yep. And within eight hours, you're back <laughs> and you're like, all right, should I just give up? Like there's no other option in your mind. It's either no margin of error or the whole thing is error. And you're just flawed. You got it. And I think if we go back to this road metaphor, I'm, I'm liking this. There's some connections being made here where all of us are swerving all over this and going off the shoulder and doing some <laughs> all-terrain driving. That's yep. humanity. That's it. But I think what happens is some of us when we're swerving, we're like, wow, I'm not great at driving. And so I need to slow down and maybe tell people, hey, I'm going to run into you. Like, make sure you see me coming. And yeah, my car is going to get pretty muddy. And they actually move the parameters even wider. 
where it's like, I have even more room to learn here because this is brand new for me. I've never done this before. So I think there's that. And I think what you're describing is every time I swerve, I actually bring the lines in even closer. And it's like, because I've swerved and my car's a little dirty, I've got to make it even more precise this next time. So it's almost like ramping up the challenge level every single time and moving the finish line even farther. So instead of recalibrating your expectations for learning, they actually get more challenging. If that is the case, I am driving on yarn. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how thin <laughs> you can get that line to be. And then and it's thinking impossible. about it, it literally, it's not even possible. It makes no sense. And it's, that is oh, good. That's it. <laughs> no, as I think about that, I think you're right. Perfectionism has a way to make the road even narrower than the width of our vehicle. It is impossible. It's not even like, hey, if I drove straighter, I could do this. If I was better, I could do this. There's actually not enough road for your vehicle anymore. I think that is what it's like. I can attest that that is very accurate. Very accurate. And it's, it's not even in your control too. Taking into account human error, if you're just trying to stay in your lane, at some point the road's gonna turn, <laughs> the wind's gonna blow, there's gonna be a cone that flies through the road, a deer that walks in. You, it's completely impossible, improbable. There's no chance and yet we still think we can ride that fine line of perfection. Yep. Impossible. I think you got it. Because our mind can think it and say it. It's like, well, now it's true and it's a fact. And now we got to shoot for that goal. But if we look down, it's like, no, this isn't actually logistically possible with all those factors that life throws at us with deer running across and windstorms and other drivers swerving. Like we're bumping into other people on the same roadway. It's impossible to stay on yarn, even if it was just us. But it's not just us. <laughs> and this is all kind of frustrating to talk about because I'm like, wait, this is me. <laughs> this, is, this is how I work. Um, but I think that's, you got to allow room to grow. And so this is, this is room to grow. This is it. Stretch the, stretch the road out a little bit. This is it. So I don't know if this is accurate or not. So I'd love your thoughts. Cause you mentioned like, I don't think perfectionism is pride. And I kind of think they're synonymous where perfectionism embodies this idea where I can do it flawlessly and I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody's help. And I think about this religiously. That's probably where I think about this the most, where I lean on my savior quite a bit. Um, Cause I'm like, Oh man, I need some help. I need some grace. I need some understanding. And, and I know, I believe that my savior has experienced all the pains and hardships that he gets it. And that's really comforting to me to have that grace there to fall back on. And I think with perfectionism, it's almost saying like, I don't need that. I actually can do it all on my own. I don't need that. But often in religious communities, we're telling, oh, pride's bad, don't do that. But perfectionism, oh, that's good. Like, go ahead and do that. 
And I think it's perfectionism is just a euphemism for pride. But I haven't really talked this out with anybody, so I'd be curious your thoughts about that. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind when you brought it up was the very fact that I said perfectionism and pride were different might be validation that I'm prideful. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, you got me. You got me right there. You know what? I, I think you're absolutely right. Because there's nothing... It is pride. It is, it is doing it on your own. And I don't even think I've ever voiced these thoughts before, but I remember growing up thinking, why, like, why couldn't I do what Jesus did? Wow. Like, like, I, I wanted to be that perfect. Wow. Like live a flawless life. Yeah. Wow. And then be able to, yeah, to atone. Right. Wow. But I, <laughs> I've since learned that <laughs> that's, that's very far from, from possible. Yeah. But just flat out answer, you're, you're right. There is pride and perfectionism. Mm. Um, and I think there's, there's a healthy ambition yep. and striving um, and eager for accomplishment that comes from perfectionism, but at a, lower, at a level where it's okay to not be perfect. So I don't know what that's called. I like the word striving. I think that that's like okay. a process term an action oriented term. Right. I think you're right. And I think I struggle on the other end where I remember I had so many arguments with my folks and family about coming to my PhD graduation ceremony. I'm like, I don't want to go. Like, there's no point to this. I don't care about this. Like that was just an avenue to be able to help people. Like that did not register as an accomplishment to me, something that I could be proud about or celebrate. Like spending a few hours at a ceremony for my PhD felt like an inconvenience. And I'm like, why are we doing this? This is not why I did this. Right. And I've thought about that, like I have children and I thought, wait, I would want my children to be proud about all that work and an accomplishment. That kind of pride that comes from your work and effort that's healthy. That's good. That's connecting. It's celebrated. And so for me to discount that completely, that ain't healthy either. Like, I like what you're saying is there's got to be a balance. But I think when we come to pride, we have strong reactions to that often from religious communities where pride is sin. But I think about pride is universal. It's the human condition. Pride is what disrupts relationships and leads to defensiveness and proving yourself right and doing it on your own. And for me, mine just looks different where I don't take pride in myself or accomplishments. And that's probably a version of pride too, just on the other end. <laughs> yeah, I, 
And talk about a big question. Defining pride has, it's now got so many definitions and there's so many ways you can, you can be prideful. Um, but again, ultimately it's that balance of, am I going to get a PhD with a 4.0 or nothing else? <laughs> or am I not going to care about the PhD at all? Yeah. Even, and so <laughs> again, I think you could probably drive yourself insane trying to figure this out. Yep. But the fact that you're figuring it out might be pride in itself of I'm going to let it go. I care about this and I'm going to do what I can to, to do good and to accomplish these things. And I'm going to be happy about my effort, but I'm not going to be so far on either side that it's, it's, it's pride. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think you're right on. And so when I think about perfection, I, I substitute that term and I just think about balance or wholeness or being complete. And for me, any extreme kind of is inconsistent with perfection, something that's balanced and whole. And so it's finding that sweet spot where, yeah, you can take pride in your accomplishments, but also recognizing that, that people helped us along the way. We needed a lot of help and we're making these accomplishments to better our lives and the lives of other people around us that it's cool to be like, Hey, I did something, but also it's much bigger than that. We're doing something for other people. And I didn't get here by myself. There was a lot of help and support. And I think it is finding that balance um, can be really ideal. I'm curious to know what isolation has contributed to my pride because you don't, at least at first, and for most people, you do not deal with pornography in a group. Yeah. You don't deal with it with other people. It's, it's you. And you're the only one that knows. And I wonder if there's a, a stem of pride that roots itself in that and becomes this anchor of, no, I, I do have to do this by myself because I can't tell anyone about this and I can't accept help because it's only going to make things worse. Yep. When in reality, it's the polar opposite. And I would like to formally put it on record that the only help I've ever actually given myself in terms of dealing with pornography is accepting help. Wow. And talking about it and being vulnerable. Wow. There is no way I could have ever white knuckled it. There's no, and for a, and I consider myself a disciplined human. Oh, like I, I, you. I, right. Yeah. Perfectionism, <laughs> right. <laughs> that might be pride. That is prideful. To say. <laughs> but I, I will openly admit to that, but there, there was no way, no chance that I could have, I tried for 10 years more than 10 years to white knuckle this thing. And it would not go because it's, it's deeper than that. I think you're right on. And I think you've mentioned so many of the ingredients about why somebody might struggle. And I come back to this and I know this is frustrating, but I think <laughs> that this porn struggle was a gift for you. Yes. Where it's like and it, 
you go. I was going to say, and it's like, Brian, the only way you're going to reach out for help is to give you something that you cannot do on your own. And I'm going to teach you this when you're younger so you can have meaningful relationships in your life. And it's got to be this of a complicated and frustrating struggle for you to be able to reach out and ask for that help. I don't know. I'm curious how that sits with you. A little too well. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a long time to find myself saying the words I'm grateful for what pornography has taught me. But I could not think of a more humbling struggle that I could have. Yeah. And it and it's I hate to use the word perfect, but it's perfect for me. <laughs> right? Yeah. As a perfectionist. <laughs> but it's it's so imperfectly perfect that it has changed my life for the better because of how I've learned to struggle with it and to overcome it at some point. Yeah. That point is not too far in the future. Yeah. But you, you are absolutely right. It, it has given me room to, to grow. It's open that road. That's what I was just going to say. This is widening your road. And I think about there can be so much joy in this journey in life. If the road's wide enough for us to be able to drive it and swerve and listen to some music and have some friends and family in the car, like there's so much meaning in this life. If we're actually given the space to, to live it and to drive it and perfectionism disqualifies us from that. And I think that has been something pretty consistently a trait I've seen with people that struggle with porn is more on that perfectionism end where I need to be flawless. I can do this on my own. And if I mess up, I'm going to be even more disciplined with myself. Those words sound familiar. (laughs) I've told myself that a few million times. And I, and I, oh man, this is funny, but frustrating. I'll use the frustration word. So many times people start with porn, they just say, it's a self-control issue. I just need to have more self-control, more self-control, more self-control. And it's like, that's shrinking your road. And that's language that I hear around this a lot. Because the opposite is more true. People that are struggling with porn have too much internal control. That's shrinking the road. That's this is a control problem, absolutely. But it's not because we don't have enough control. It's because we have way too much control and the road is shrinking. It's disappearing. I hope everyone else listening to this is as rocked as I am because this is... <laughs> this is... Yeah. So you had a reaction to the control piece. What was your reaction to that? It's just so right. Because as in my mind, it is in my control. Mm. Every, everything 
I'd never thought about. Wow, this is this is dangerously deep now. <laughs> but like, and you hear the term like control freak, right? Mm. Um, because it, I think if it's in my control, I can control the perfection of it, which is completely <laughs> irrational. Yeah. Um, but that's how I've thought about it is if I'm, if I'm in control of everything, then it's going to be perfect. Yep. And we're going to ride that, the yarn, <laughs> somehow we're going to fit an F-150 onto this piece of yarn, <laughs> ride across it. It's, my reaction is just bewilderment that, yeah, it was, it's been articulated. And it's amazing because I, I hear the word control with certain types of struggles. When people come in and they say they have more perfectionism or pornography or anxiety, I hear the word control a lot. Where it's like, I want, I want you to teach me how to control anxiety. I want you to teach me how to control these urges. I want you to teach me how to control myself. I'm not motivated enough. And with other types of concerns, I don't hear control at all. Like that language isn't even there. It's not even part of the mindset. And I think about the control is actually a major part of this problem for pornography, perfectionism, and anxiety is anxiety is a control issue. And the more we try to control internal stuff like thoughts and emotions and urges, the less control we have. But the whole time our mind's like, well, I can control all kinds of stuff in my outside world. Like, my cold beard and my outfit and how my room's arranged so I can control my emotions too. And it just doesn't recognize that actually the opposite's true. The more you control them, the less control you have. Yeah, you can control what shirt you put on. That's outside world stuff. But to control how much stress you're gonna feel today, ugh, the more you try to control that, the more stress you will feel. Our mind just doesn't discriminate between things that's really, really good at controlling and things like thoughts and emotions and urges that the opposite's going to happen. It's going to backfire. That's, that's something I've, I've been thinking a lot about is your emotions. I mean, it's a, if you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to suppress them, it's, like a wild stallion sounds weird, but like they buck. And when you just lock them up, they're going to freak out. Yeah. And it is not healthy. Yep. But if you learn how to, when you break that horse and you understand it now, all of a sudden you can go places with it. Yep. And that's, understanding will always be more liberating than control. Yep. Well, I love that imagery. I think about that a lot. And I've actually used that same stallion because I think it is like that where it's like, it's one thing to try to control a stallion. You're going to get bucked off. You ain't going anywhere, but to learn to ride one or manage one, that's quite possible. And you can go anywhere. Like I think we can learn to manage our emotions. That's reasonable. But to control emotions is like, I can control this stallion that's hundreds of pounds 
more than me and way stronger than me. It's like, no, that's not going to work. But where worthiness comes back into it is we have this stallion. It's this emotions and we got to figure out how to ride it. But sometimes we look at like how powerful this is. And if we can't control it, that means we're unworthy. And it's like, oh, whoa, those are really different things. Not being able to manage intensity and complexity of emotions is very different than being unworthy in the sight of God. Those to me are very, very different things. And so sometimes I struggle with that application of worthiness related to emotion, emotional coping. Because like sometimes we cope in healthy ways, sometimes we don't, but we're learning better ways to cope with emotions. But the fact that sometimes the stallion runs us off into the woods and we get bucked off, for me, that is how it feels to learn to ride a stallion. That's very different than I am now unworthy. Those feel like completely different things to me. That's an important separation. And I think it's, it's not something, at least for me, it's not something that I can just decide and then understand and accept. I, I think that's a continual realization that, all right, no, I, I, made, I made a mistake. It's okay. I'm not going to burn. I'm not going to be struck down because I messed up. It doesn't make me any less of a good person. I think that's the big one is if I were to count every mistake I've made, yeah, there's no way, (laughs) there's no way on paper I would be able to reconcile all those. Yeah. But it's, that's just being human. It's being human. Yep. And I think about my perspective has changed quite a bit as just in my role as a psychologist and really hearing how challenging it is to be a human. That's actually helped me develop a lot more compassion and widen my lane for myself. But also being a parent where my kids, they're little, they're making mistakes all the time. And I don't like keep a list of those. I don't document it. You messed up again. You messed up again. Like I just unconditionally love my children while they're learning and I still love them even when they're throwing a fit and telling me I'm a bad dad for making them eat their dinner. I still love them in those moments. And we've talked a little bit about religion here and I'll share my belief. That's, that's how I feel God sees us is this unconditional love from a parent. And we're keeping tally of all of our mistakes and feeling really bad about it. But as a parent, I don't do that. And I don't think a loving heavenly parent, really does either and i think that widens my road a little bit so when i do swerve it's like oh course correct let's get back on what can i learn for that and i'm able to drive even straighter recognizing that no one's keeping score but maybe me (laughs) and that's what this is all about is how can we learn how can we help support other people forgive ourselves i mean that's a really big healthy part of learning but for me, often sexuality, it, it does bring in a lot of religion for me because we have so many beliefs tied into that. So maybe we, next time we could talk more about that. I feel like we're dancing on it a little bit, but maybe we could really talk about the role of religion and belief um, because like my faith is something that's really precious to me 
And yet sometimes the cultural messages and pressure around religion make things like sexual development really, really complicated and like unnecessarily complicated. And I don't think it has to be that way. Um, I think religion and spirituality is really, really good and healthy. And so spirituality, they can actually play together in the sandbox and be okay. Um, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I would love to. I would love to talk about that because I think the contributions that religion has made to my values and my moral compass have been instrumental yep. in, in who I am, but also how I've struggled with certain things. Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm sure we could, <laughs> we could find a lot to talk about. Okay. Well, it looks like we got a plan for next week. Good stuff. Well, this was fun. I appreciated listening and learning more from you. And I know a lot of the things you shared made me connect some dots in ways that I hadn't really thought about before. Um, I just really enjoy not having the pressure to have to be the one to help you. I don't feel like I need to help you. I just get to learn and talk with you, which I really enjoy. Um, yeah, I know we all need support, but I don't feel like, like, wow, I got to help Brian resolve this. It's more like I get to learn from Brian and, and I find that really liberating, but also, yeah, so helpful for me to think about this from another way. Yeah, I was just going to, how ironic that statement is that you don't feel like you have to help, but yet this is the most helpful thing hmm. for me and for anyone else who's going through this is talking about it. Yeah. And it can be a completely normal conversation and yet this is what this is what we need this is what i need it's i love it connection just connection it's simple and you don't even need a, a professional to get that type of medicine it's just humans have that capacity to connect and that's really in the end what we need and thank heavens thank heavens for it yep i love it Okay, Brian. Well, I'm excited for our next chat and see where it goes. Me too. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good night. You too. Hey, thanks for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. I know you might be facing some issues in your life or know someone who is. Issues like anxiety, challenges in dealing with emotions, or other compulsive behaviors like unwanted pornography. And I know it's tough to talk to people about problems. Difficult to stare those obstacles down that we face in life and to really know how to deal with them. It's hard to know what to say and when to say it. And then when that moment you finally reach out to family and friends happens, sometimes it falls flat. I haven't found many programs teaching effective strategies like mindfulness, how to improve relationships, and ways to address unwanted pornography viewing through research supportive principles. So whether you simply want to help with a problem like unwanted pornography, difficulty responding to emotions, or just want to understand the world of someone struggling with porn a little better, head over to lifeafterpornography.com and get in on the next training. There you'll learn the exact same strategies individuals addicted to pornography used to transform their lives by implementing principles from evidence-based treatment shown effective in research for reducing unwanted pornography viewing. You'll learn the secrets, the myths, the enemies to recovery, and the LAP framework for dealing with unwanted porn viewing that we call WAVE. If that's something that interests you, click the link in the description or just head over to lifeafterpornography.com. I'm Dr. Cameron Staley. See you on the inside.